0: One. Now I can preach it like this, okay? Repent! Or I can tell you, change your mind. Preaching repentance in the area of consciousness of sins is dishonoring the work of Jesus.
1: Repentance means you realize you're guilty, that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God. You begin to realize that sin is in you, and you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the cost, and you deny yourself and take up the cross and go after Christ.
0: It's time for Wretched Radio with
1: Todd Friel. Let's talk
2: about parables. This is Wretched Radio. You're thinking parables, schmerable. We need to talk about Alistair Begg. That's what I said. We're going to talk about parables. Why? Because on Sunday night in front of his congregation, Alistair Begg decided to respond to all of the people who have disagreed with his advice
1: to a grandmother. A grandmother phones me up in tears and gravely concerned for the circumstances in relationship to one of her grandchildren. I'm not quoting the book to her. I'm only responding to her. She wrote a long letter. It sat on my desk for a long time. This happens to us all as pastors all the time. And on that occasion, when I listened to her talk, my great concern was for her and for her relationship with her granddaughter. I wasn't thinking about the nature of the circumstances in that moment of time. All I was thinking about was how can I help this grandmother not to lose her granddaughter, who has already publicly turned her back on God and her back on God's design and in every other way.
2: That was the A-bomb, and the fallout has been massive, and we are going to interact with Pastor Begg's defense of his position. And he framed it in the context of, parables. You see, that's why we need to talk about parables. Before we begin, please permit a, a bit of a nota bene. We're talking about Alistair Begg here. That means everything that I say, and that I hope we would all say, is done in the context of recognizing who this man is. He's an elder brother, and we're commanded, First Timothy 5, to treat him as if he is our father. And I'm going to endeavor to do that and walk this tightrope, honoring him while simultaneously interacting with his defense of his position based on parables. Then, after we've interacted with his defense, I would like to address what Alistair didn't. Uh oh. In other words, he begged the question on what is a marriage. What is our presence at a marriage communicating? And what do we do with people like Alistair Begg with whom we disagree? We will tackle that second. So that means if you're listening, for instance, in Atlanta or Colorado Springs or one of our stations that only carries 30 minutes, please note that this is a 60 minute Presentation. You can hear the whole shebang if you're interested on whatever podcast equipment that you happen to use. Let's dive into the presentation that is titled Compassion versus Condemnation. It is clear from Alistair Begg's remarks, and you are going to hear this, it is crystal clear to me that his concern, his pastoral heart, is filled with compassion for grandma and granddaughter, that the family would stay intact, and he also has an evangelistic concern that the daughter will be so turned off by Christian grandma not attending her wedding, she'll never get saved. Now, while I disagree with that, it's hard to be critical of a man Who's, who's trying to have a compassionate heart. But I would suggest to you, uh, this is a false dichotomy. Compassion and condemnation aren't necessarily separate. They, they can walk hand in hand. It just depends on how we do it. Personally, I, I think we, we would have done better with a different title. Rather than compassion versus condemnation, how's about compassion? I don't even like the word versus. Conviction, because that's what this is about. And and, and that's why this is a two-parter. What are our convictions on the issue? Can compassion override our convictions? Can we make decisions pragmatically? Which is why part two of this is to dive into the question of did Al sin? Was this sinful advice? Because if 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 that's the case, you can't let your compassion override sin. So the title Out of the Gate wasn't my favorite. Furthermore, we we need to remember, and Alistair Begg just said it, these people are condemned already. They they are all I can't condemn anybody. They're already condemned. Furthermore, I I I I can do these two things together. I I can spank my child compassionately. Even though it might feel severe, my heart and hopefully my tone says, This isn't my favorite thing to do, but this is my duty. And so out of the gate in my opinion, I would, have, I would have preferred a different framing of the issue. And furthermore, I, I, I wish that we'd actually addressed the issue because you be the judge for yourself. You can go listen to the entire 46 minute presentation. I've listened to through it now several times. You can listen to it and be the judge for yourself. He never really got to the question of what is a wedding, And what are we doing when we attend it? So we're going to discuss that. But first things first, let's jump in. Alistair Begg, he starts to use the prodigal son. He goes to Luke chapter 15. And this is why we need to understand parables, because Pastor Begg is going to use the parable of the prodigal son to defend his position that he gave the advice to the grandmother to go to an unbiblical wedding. What is a parable? Typically, a parable, no, I think it's a rule. It has one point. That's it. Parables are intended to be a smack upside the head. Hey, get the point. I hope I got you. Now respond. That's the point of a parable. And the question then that we need to ask is, what is the point of the parable of the prodigal son? At the beginning of Luke 15, Jesus sees the Pharisees and they're not happy that he is meeting with sinners. Please note, it doesn't say he's attending a wedding. It doesn't say that he's partying with them and high-fiving them. He's meeting with them, I believe, to evangelize them, and they're not happy, why? Because they're self-righteous and they're disgusted that the supposed Messiah would hang with the lowly. They're not the ones entering the kingdom, we are. And so Jesus tells three parables in a row the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the prodigal son. So now I ask the question, and I think I can answer it. What was the point of the parable? I believe it was soteriology. It is about salvation. It is not about sanctification. It is not about attending an ungodly wedding. It is about salvation. Who is in and who is out? And that is another reason we need to understand parables. They are Always, okay, maybe not. Oh, yeah. I, I'm trying to think I'm trying to think of one that isn't triadic in its structure, meaning there's three characters in parables God, right response, wrong response. And that's the story of the prodigal son. It is about soteriology, how one gets saved, and that selfish self righteous people like the Pharisees will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, Alistair Begg, as you're going to hear, attempts to use the prodigal brother to say that he was being like the Pharisees in that they were legalists and making laws where there is no law. Now, here's why we've got to be precise. Did the Pharisees do that? Absolutely. Is that what Jesus was addressing? I believe absolutely not. He wasn't addressing legalism. He was addressing self-righteousness and who will inherit the kingdom. And that is why we conclude that the parable of the prodigal son, which is clear even without any context, is about salvation, not sanctification. Alistair Begg is going to start to make his case now using the prodigal parable. Please keep that foundation in
1: mind. The perspective of the father is a yearning for both of his sons. He rejoices that one has returned, but he's concerned because he has another one actually in his own backyard that doesn't understand the reality of that which the other boy has discovered. And what Jesus is making clear here is the fact that God is a seeking God, that God is seeking those who are far from him, whether they're a long way away or whether they're actually close up.
2: No, no, no argument with that. Let's
1: continue. And the absence, you see, of forgiveness in on the part of the older brother reveals something. It reveals that he doesn't understand the nature of forgiveness.
2: That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is he's responding wrongly because he's self-righteousness and he believes that he has earned the father's favor and the other guy hasn't.
1: That he doesn't understand what it means to actually be forgiven. And as a result of that, he doesn't have the capacity to forgive others who need the forgiveness.
2: That is the premise. Alistair Begg is going to use the prodigal brother to say that those of us who disagree with him Are that brother? That raises really profound and important questions, which we will seek to answer respectfully next on Wretched Radio. I would say the Tomorrow Clubs is a wonderful ministry. Kids are getting saved like crazy, not just in Eastern Europe, but also in Africa. And it's so efficient. I was just with Paul and Cindy Marty, and I asked, and I said, in in American currency, how much does it cost to have a kid come to a Tomorrow Club four times a month? So every single week, what what does it take to make that happen? Ready? A buck, one dollar. That's it. The kid comes, they get treats, per month. Well,
3: in a world that is undeniably cluttered with quick fixes and superficial solutions, now comes a journey into the heart of real change. I'm talking about Transformed Season 3. It's finally here, and we're inviting you into the lives of individuals that are facing the giants of fear and guilt and grief. But hey, there's a twist. These aren't your typical battles. These battles have been fought with the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. You'll witness... Loneliness and overeating and relational tension met with grace, truth, and love that can only come from the one who knows us the best. This season's not just about watching others, it's about seeing yourself and your struggles and the path to true transformation through biblical counseling. We'll together dive deep into the heart of what it means to be transformed. Transformed season three can be found right now at wretched.org/slash transformed three.
2: So you aren't convinced of the importance of training godly men to rightly divide the word of truth in churches internationally? Well then, we'll let Paul Washer convince you
3: you have to support men who are elder qualified proclaimers of the word when we support a man coming out of TMAI we know not only that he is properly trained but
2: we know that he will still be supervised would you please join TMAI the master's academy international in advancing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through expository preaching in local churches around the globe? It's a magnificent ministry, and it's so important. Please consider partnering with TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Thank
1: you for supporting indigenous pastors around the world. Important
0: Dates in Christian History 1678 John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress is published. Written while Bunyan was in prison for preaching the gospel, this allegorical tale of the Christian life becomes second in international circulation, exceeded only by the Bible. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
1: Unless someone understands the forgiveness of God and how we are so in the wrong with God, whether you're a religious Pharisee, or whether you're a lost cause, a drug addicted, crazy person, The same grace of God is what woos us and wins us and brings us to himself. If we do not understand the nature of our predicament, then we never understand the reality of our forgiveness. And in this book, that's what I'm actually saying.
2: This is Wretched Radio. That, of course, is the familiar voice of Pastor Alistair Begg, Truth For Life, who is currently feeling the response to the advice that he gave to a grandmother who encouraged her to go to granddaughter's very unbiblical marriage. The response, it has been huge, and it is our desire here at Wretched Radio to do two things, or at least to assist with two things. Number one, let us listen to the case that Alistair Begg has made defending his advice. Two, we will do what I wish he had done in this presentation, and that is we're going to try to figure out what this thing is. What are we talking about here? How important is this? What level does this rise to when it comes to orthodoxy, secondary, uh, doing some theological triage? And this is important because you are talking about this, and if not, you are going to be. So we need to, first of all, understand our position. Then we need to understand to what level this rises. That is so Crucial, and I'm afraid it was entirely ignored when Alistair Begg decided to use the prodigal son story to defend his case. Please go listen to it so that you don't think that I am misrepresenting him. I don't want to do that. There's no reason to do that. Parables have a point, parables have a triadic structure. The prodigal son is the story of God, right reaction, wrong reaction. Alistair Begg used that prodigal son story to say that the prodigal brother is one who was censorious. He was judgmental. He didn't like other people being forgiven. So he wasn't happy to go to the party. That's the point that he tries to make. I would try to argue you really shouldn't be doing that with a parable. The story of the prodigal son has nothing to do with attending weddings. It has everything to do with who gets saved, how one gets saved. It is soteriological. Alistair Begg just said that you and I, for disagreeing with his advice to grandma, are the prodigal brother and that we don't therefore understand our own depravity and we don't understand forgiveness. Now, I'll leave it, To you. And maybe we should just say, well, let's just put the best construction on this and assume that Alistair Begg didn't mean to suggest that those of us who disagree with him are legalistic Pharisees who don't understand forgiveness. Let's maybe let that one go. Although you kind of want to interact with that. His point is then that we should. Agree that it's okay to go to the ungodly wedding because otherwise we're not acting like whom? If Alistair Begg is going to use one of the three characters to make a point and to say, Y'all, you're like that guy, I don't think you should do that. But if we're going to do that, then to me it makes sense that the other two characters need to support. His case, and furthermore, they need to behave in the way that he is suggesting that the different parties are engaging and reacting. So, f- just follow me on this. Most likely, most likely, not everybody does, but most likely. Um, by the by, the way, I've easily, easily spoken to over twenty people at length on this subject. I, I haven't met. Anybody yet who agrees with Alistair Begg, myself included. Now, there could be somebody who doesn't, but if you and I are the prodigal brother, question, who's the prodigal son who returned? And if I'm following Alistair Begg's reasoning here, let's say you and I are the prodigal brother, he then would be the prodigal son because he's not being legalistic and pharisaical, but that doesn't make any sense, does it? Why? Because the prodigal brother was mad at the prodigal son. We're not mad at Alistair Beck. In fact, we're not mad at anybody. Keep tracking with me on this. According to Al, we're not being compassionate as prodigal brothers toward the prodigal son. So that would make the prodigal son grandmother's granddaughter. But that can't be because the prodigal son returned home asking for forgiveness, repenting, got saved. And as Alistair Begg himself said, that's not the granddaughter's attitude. She's living in rebellion. Further, keep tracking with me, please. If showing compassion demands participating or witnessing an unbeliever's sin, then why didn't the rich father go to the far land to watch his son wallow in sin? Because the father represents God. And as a compassionate father, he is, according to our premise, based on one-third of the parable, should be showing compassion himself. And the context of this is going to a sinful celebration. So the father... He shouldn't have been staying home looking. He should have been going out and watching his prodigal son participate in sin. Because if he failed to do so, he wouldn't be compassionate. And we know that's not accurate because the father represents God and God is most certainly compassionate. Now, you can you can disagree with my tracking on it. But I do believe it makes the point that using a triadic parable to make a point that the parable is not actually trying to make for itself shaky ground, shaky ground. What what I wish Alistair Begg had done was run to, say, Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. Those are the sections that the Bible provides a category that we need to understand. It is the category of adiaphora. These are disputable dispensations. These, these, this is probably the text, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, the big text regarding Christian liberty and, and, and whether we can do certain things or not and how we're to treat one another when we have a disagreement on the issue. He didn't do that and that i think was a really missed opportunity because now we're seeing radio stations that are dropping him uh, uh, he's 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 not going to be participating in in the shepherds conference and and by the way and and this will be important for part 2 of our conversation do you know why the shepherds Con- jimmy do you know why the shepherds conference decided apparently with alistair begg that this would be too big of a distraction, so he's not going to be going to the Shepherds Conference. Do you you know why they made that decision? Why? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I I don't know. And and I I don't want to speculate because I don't need to. Uh, Furthermore, we need to remember that a lot of this conversation is happening on the national level, and that is one conversation. There's another conversation, though, that has to be considered, and that is the conversation on the local level. And we want to make sure that we are doing that exceedingly well. To summarize the whole Alistair Begg defense, he, sorry, again, begged the question. The focus needs to be mowage. What is it? We know the answer to that it is a picture of jesus christ and the church it is indeed holy matrimony and any configuration that doesn't fit that descriptor that doesn't qualify because it's unnatural well it's just something that we can't affirm furthermore ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 is there are two there are two verses that really guide my thinking on this issue. Here's Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what's granddaughter's wedding? Would that be unfruitful works of darkness? We would say, absolutely, is going fellowship. I'm willing to have that debate, I believe it is. Paul continues, expose them. Instead, for it is shameful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. The other verse that guides my thinking in this is Jesus warning us, "Ah, your families might get divided over me. You could lose a beloved child. You could lose a granddaughter. Does that mean that we should be reckless and insensitive? unloving? Does that mean we shouldn't weigh these these issues very carefully? Does that mean we get to just, whatever, Jesus said we're going to divide? No, we don't have permission to be jerks, but we do need to recognize there are going to be some issues that just cause division. So when I put Jesus' warning with Paul's warning and admonition in Ephesians 5, my conclusion is Alistair Begg was wrong. But that isn't the end of the conversation. This is Wretched Radio.
3: And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hanks. We start in the Sunshine State, where a federal judge this week has dismissed Disney's lawsuit against the state over their special governance status getting revoked. Last year, state lawmakers punished the entertainment giant for opposing parental rights legislation, yet Disney still claimed victimhood, suing Governor DeSantis in retaliation. But now the case has collapsed after the court ruled that Disney lacked any standing as an injured party. And speaking of foolishness, congressional rep Ayanna Presley has slammed Walgreens as racist because they are closing stores in high-theft areas across San Francisco. That's right, she's saying that securing your merchandise from rampant shoplifting is bigoted because, well, it happens to impact more minority neighborhoods. Let that one sink in for a moment, folks. A congresswoman complains that stopping crime enables racism. You know for a while this kind of thing was almost humorous to entertain, but it's honestly getting exhausting. These woke politicians would watch someone get murdered and still blame the victim. North of the border, a Canadian university has hosted racially segregated pool sessions this week in order to create safe spaces and celebrate black excellence. School officials praise dividing swimmers by skin color as therapeutic relief from systemic oppression. Critics, of course, as you might imagine, blasted the ironic return to segregation in some kind of weird language about equality. Here's a novel idea. How well... How about we realize jumping in a swimming pool has nothing to do with the color of your skin? I don't know. Maybe that's thinking too reasonable. And Sonny Hostin is back in the news for her opinions on The View, which she pretty much stays in the headlines. She's declared that a huge portion of Americans are inherently racist because of supporting historical Judeo Christian values. She argued traditional beliefs themselves constitute white supremacy today. And she points to opposition to the violent ideologies of critical race theory and sexual license as proof of widespread hatred you know this isn't something that should come as a surprise come on jesus told us this was gonna happen they're gonna hate us because they hated him first we should come to expect it more and more often And finally, three American missionaries were arrested last year in Nicaragua for their outreach and now they face weapons charges. The charges are aimed at intimidating Christian workers as the regime there grows increasingly hostile and increasingly Marxist. Local pastors are enduring ongoing harassment for serving persecuted believers. So as we tell you so frequently here at Wretched, please make sure that you are praying diligently for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm
0: Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Leviticus is the guidebook for the priests and Levites as they attend to their duties in the temple. In Leviticus, we learn that God is holy, sin is serious, and that God requires a sacrifice for atonement. Thankfully, we have complete atonement in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ this is wretched radio with
2: todd friel unlike the government i really am here to help at least hopefully this is wretched radio alistair Begg dropping an a-bomb hi oh i wrote that right there he gave advice with which ah, we almost have a consensus on it was was bad advice no not a total consensus but i think there's a general consensus that was wrong but not everybody agrees as to the gravity of the issue itself and that is the subject that i'd like for us to discuss and i'm going to make every effort to not pontificate and tell you how to process this and that's exactly my point because now that we've dealt with the issue itself and al's understanding of it let's talk about you let's talk about me In the context of unity and fellowship, how are we going to discuss this issue and what are we going to do with one another who perhaps agree, yeah, he gave bad advice, but there are going to be some who say, I think that this was sinful advice. I think it was disqualifying advice on the part of Alistair Begg. And there's going to be others who say, eh, I don't see it that way. That conversation needs to happen. And I believe I offer three words that will help us have that conversation without me telling you what to do. The three words are time, discipleship, and local. Okay, it's actually local church, but that would be four words. And any more than three makes a Southern Baptist head explode. And so out of consideration, three words, time, discipleship, and the local church. There's a difference between a national and a local conversation. The national conversation is very fast, and, 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 it's, and, it's, and it's very um, not conversational, because it isn't. I mean, if Alistair Begg were here in the studio— We'd be talking about it, but he, but he's not. So I'm talking about him. So this national conversation is one thing, and we want to be careful that we make the distinction between national and local. Why? Because of discipleship. I I I want you to imagine for a moment that you're a pastor, or you 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 just go to church, and you know somebody who has, they've been coming to church for a year, year and a half. You know, in fact, now that I think about it, they've been coming really faithfully to church. They've been going to Bible study too. And, you know, I've noticed a difference in their family in the way that they even show up on Sunday morning. And I bump into this fellow and I say, hey, what do you think about the Alistair Begg situation? He goes, well, I think it was wrong, but, you know, I just don't think it was a big deal. What do I say to him? How do I treat him? That's a, that's a different conversation now, isn't it? That that is a discipleship question. Now please note, I'm I'm not trying to tip my hand on this. I, I really am not. I'm trying to stay neutral as to what this is in an effort to help us see through this until we have consensus and clarity which is why time is the other operative word here. Th- this is going to take some time. I don't know how much. the converse. It's happening very quickly. But nevertheless, we haven't even started talking about this other issue that you and I are currently addressing. I-, I-, I haven't heard this discussed much. It's all been about the issue itself and Al's advice, and that conversation is important. We just had it for a half an hour. But now... There's another component to this. And the reason that I think this is so important is this goes beyond marriage. This has to do with DEI. This has to do with pronouns. This has to do with global warming. This has to do with environmentalism, with surrogacy, with life issues. We need to recognize these issues are quite new to us. And I know some, to varying degrees, some more than others, have been thinking about this particular issue since Obergefell in 2015. And perhaps you have come to a very well-reasoned, prayerful position that this was absolutely this or that. Okay? I didn't say which one. You're either like, no, that was sin. Nah, it's a gray area. And you've thought it through. Okay, we need time to talk about it and to gain consensus, and I believe that we will. And in the meantime, the helpful word that I would like to offer is do it in the context of your local church, hang in there for this, under the authority of your local pastor. Let your pastor lead the way on this issue in the local church. I'm not suggesting you can't talk to him about it. You you can, pastor, have you been following this? What's your take on it? I'd love to hear what you have to say so I can consider that very carefully because your opinion is weighty to me, far more weighty than skinny talk show geek. You want your pastor to be leading you in this regard. I don't think that we should go to him and tell him what to do. That's what submission is sometimes. You have a conviction. You know where you stand one way or the other on this. And you think that, well, he needs to kind of get with the program. Or in this particular instance, let's just say, so I'm just, I'm trying to be as fair and balanced without being Fox News as I possibly can, which means I'm actually trying to be fair and balanced, that let's just say you think this is a gray area and your pastor comes out and says, this is a sin area. Don't run out the door and vice versa. Let me just say vice versa. You're convinced of this and your pastor is like, y'all, I'm not really persuaded that it's a sin and I think you can keep listening to Alistair Begg. Do not disregard what he's saying. He's the guy that you and I need to submit to and listen to. Does this mean that you need to just automatically agree with him on this subject? It doesn't. That's why we need time, and we need to recognize that he, as well as we, should have a lot of discipleship considerations. You see, your pastor is thinking about that guy who's been coming for a year and a half, and I should be too, and that is why I'd actually like to offer a challenge. If you happen to be of the disposition, and believe me, I can relate to this, if you happen to be the sort who knows what you know, I—I I am not being critical of that. I'm not. But you could be doing something that might help you know if your certain attitude is either right or is being applied wisely. This will. This will. I hope come clear as I tell you what I would encourage you to do if you're that type like I am. I would like to encourage you to get more plugged into your local church. Find somebody you can disciple. Find somebody that you can help. Just start doing stuff. Just just start just start doing stuff because you're going to run into Mr. year and a half guy. And 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 you're you're going to start seeing hey, he's in the, he's a he's a process. He's being discipled. He's growing. He's being sanctified. Now, you can say, he's not in the same place I am. Exactly. Exactly. That's the whole point of the local church. You're further ahead than I am. Bring me along. Hey, I'm looking back. I think that's Jimmy way back there. All right, I'm going (laughs) to go help him move forward in this thing. Together, we do that. And we might be inclined to overlook that. If we're just having this conversation on a national level, yep, we should have it. We can have it. It, 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 it is definitely within the realm of appropriate conversations we can have. But don't neglect the local church. And, and I really want to press you and challenge you on this. You, you, just, you just try for the next six months of the next year, dive in. Get involved in the life of the church. And another thing, this is a, this is a side, and I'm not commenting or suggesting these issues aren't important. But you might stop talking about these things nationally if you're if you are engaging locally. So you, know, you spent the evening at the church, working with somebody, helping somebody, discipling somebody, sitting in Bible study. You heard about somebody's issues with their kids, or their health, or their job, or their car breaking down. And you know what? You're going to come home and talk about that that we have national conversations, but not at the expense of the local. I do believe we will come to consensus on this. We will. We almost always do. Let's give it some time. Let's have these conversations in the context of our local church submitting to our pastor. And let's remember discipleship, that, we can we can know that we're right but that we can be patient with one another i didn't say you change your tune i didn't say you disregard it but that we can be patient with one another as the individual progresses toward the place where god has brought you this is wretched radio Okay, so imagine that you're inside of a
3: maze, and every corner that you take, there's another wall, there's another obstacle, and you finally get to the point of frustration where you think you're never going to get out. But then imagine a different scenario. You're still inside that maze, but every corner you take is a guide who has a flashlight and is saying, nope that's the right way to go. And in that scenario, we welcome you to Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford. And whether you've listened or not, you'll realize really quickly it's not your everyday radio show. Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford takes issues that many, if not all of us struggle with, and it matches them up to hope and healing through the pages of the Bible. It is genuinely an entirely new perspective. New episodes drop every Saturday morning in your favorite podcast spot or at transformed.org slash podcast transformed with dr greg gifford i believe in a culture of life one of the most impactful moments of my life was when i heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms
2: in the womb when you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat would you please consider supporting Preborn? it's a great ministry of life it has a high anthropology shares the gospel with women and with the dads preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched
3: hey thank you so much for listening to wretched radio today and i wanted to take just a moment to say thank you our incredible gospel partners. Together, we're not just throwing seed, we're actually nurturing an entire forest. And your partnership is more than just a monthly commitment. There have been lives touched, there have been hearts changed, and there have been souls comforted. And while we don't have a giant thank you banner that we can fly over your house, though that would be pretty cool, and then we do have countless stories of lives impacted by your generosity. Every prayer you've prayed, every dollar you've given, it's like a ripple effect across the massive ocean. Thank you for standing firm with us and for being the backbone of this ministry. And to those of you who are not already gospel partners, well, hey, we would love to welcome you into the family. You can get all of the answers to the questions we know you have right now at wretched.org slash donate. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel.
0: Names of God. Is Jesus God? One name given to God in Scripture is El Gibor, the Mighty God. One occurrence of this name stands out. In Isaiah chapter 9, El Gibor is the name given to the promised Messiah. Jesus is that promised Messiah. He is God incarnate. This is Wretched Radio
2: with Todd Friel. Can, can't, should, shouldn't. That is the question. This is Wretched Radio, Dr. Alistair Begg, giving advice to a grandma that most of us disagree with. You shouldn't be attending a wedding that is offensive to God. I I, I really think that you and I would do well to spend time considering the transcendence of God and what marriage is, and that when we get close to something that we think he might find offensive, our reaction shouldn't be, well, I'll just see if I can get closer to the line. It should be to run as far away as possible. Let me, let me give you perhaps an example. And this is kind of risky because you might actually disagree with this example. Deuteronomy 18 spends a couple of paragraphs exposing what God hates. He hates it. It's an abomination to him. What are those things? Witchcraft, divination, sorcery, communing with the dead. Hey, 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 hates it. And so when I remember that and that my God hates the right things because he's holy, then I should be hating those things too. And then I need to ask the question, are there any things that I'm doing that would qualify for the things that God hates? Because if there are, I don't want to do them. That's what I believe our attitude should be. So now we have to ask the question, what does God think about an unnatural marriage? I think we know, don't we? He hates it. It's blasphemous. It is a complete mockery of creation, of genders, It's a it's a mockery of the picture that marriage was intended to paint of Jesus Christ hate, 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 hates it. So with that attitude in mind, I actually need to ask a second question. And this might strike your ear a little bit weird, like since when do we listen to society? Well, we don't. But I think we're aware of society and and don't worry we're we're going to come back to the exact same point in question but this has to be explored because as you're discussing the issue of whether or not to attend a gay or trans wedding you you're you're thinking well what is this going to say to everybody now here's the tricky part we've have to try to figure out what it does say these days not what it says to god what it says to the world cuz that's a consideration why because I've got second John that tells me I don't do anything that might indicate I affirm a false teacher and I would I would apply that more broadly I don't want to do anything that tells anybody watching I affirm sin I don't I don't want that so I need to ask the question what is society's current attitude about the meaning of wedding attendance when I was growing up and, and until somewhat recently, the, the answer was unanimous. Well, you're going to affirm if there's anybody here who does not believe that. The, and so everybody who didn't say anything said, I'm with this. I'm for this. I do have to ask myself the question, is that the way society sees it? And the answer these days is, I think less so. I don't know what the percentage is. Bear with me for a moment. Something that's somewhat analogous is language that people use words today that I'm sorry they cannot enter my ears without me going cringe. Uh, derivations of the f-bomb. Uh, there's other words that are used const everybody it's and I'm like, Gy-y-y. Do you know what that word Gy-y-y-y. But society doesn't see it that way. And this will sound crazy to you, that there might be some words that we use someday that we wouldn't have used 20 years ago because society just doesn't see them that way, any differently than um, a cup full of water. Nobody would stop me and go, hey, watch your mouth. Why? Because we all understand a cup full of water is fine. And society plays a role in determining definitions. Similarly, weddings or really any other social events. What, What does it mean? So the answer to the question, what does it mean to society, is I don't know. I do want to weigh it. I think it's a consideration. And let's just say all of society, George Barnett does a poll, and all of society agrees it don't mean nothing if you attend a wedding. Just it, it, it ain't no big thing. Does that mean I can go? Because I won't be besmirching my testimony or telling the world that God doesn't care about marriage and this isn't a big deal? And the answer is no. I want to be aware of that, but I still need to ask the question: Is my God pleased with my decision? I'm going to please him before granddaughter. I'm going to please him before the entire family that's really angry at me right now. that's 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 the issue. I need to understand what a marriage means to God and then, Just when you thought if we could come to a conclusion and a consensus on that question, guess what? Pandora's box just got opened up, and I'm just going to keep the box marked marriage. Question. Knowing Deuteronomy 18, that God hates divination, witchcraft, sorcery, you get invited to, they're unbelievers. And by the way, that, that's another question. Can I go to an unbeliever's wedding? And I think the answer is yes, because God sanctions marriage when it's natural between a man and a woman, even if people aren't believers. Why? How do I know that? Because Paul says you were married when you weren't a believer to an unbelieving spouse. Now you got saved, you can't divorce, which means the marriage of pagans is valid in the eyes of God. So I can go to an unbeliever's wedding, in my opinion, without any conscience twangs, But it's a Harry Potter wedding, and I think, oh, you know what? Deuteronomy, to God hates all that divination, witchcraft, sorcery. Can I go? Hold on. We're nowhere near the bottom of the barrel on this question. You get invited to a wedding as a Protestant to a Roman Catholic ceremony, which is a mass. It's your granddaughter. Do you go? Hold on. Not done. You're invited to a wedding where there's somebody who you believe is a born-again believer who's marrying an unbeliever. That is an ungodly union, too. Do you go to that? Hold on, not done. You get invited to a wedding where one or maybe even both of them were unbiblically divorced and now they're getting married again. Do you go to that wedding? Gulp! Uh, Well, the one I might... But you said we could go to the Unbeliever and the Harry Potter... I'm not like... I don't think it's a thing about Harry Potter. My point is in order to get clarity and consensus with time in the context of our local church, discipling one another, uh, we, we gotta figure out what marriage attendance is. And so we've gotta understand what marriage itself is. And then we can start to perhaps draw some lines and determine, are those lines dotted? In other words, you can cross it, it ain't no big thing. Uh, or it's a line, and don't you dare. Because, and this is this is my concern, if we don't take the time to sort this as the body, forget the national conversation. If we don't take the time as a body, uh, question, do we disciple those with whom we disagree? And what if the elder board is still working through it and they're torn? Does, does this mean I can have fellowship with some... Look, if, if you've got it sorted, uh, uh, good. Seriously, good. you've been thinking about it. You pondered it. You've, you've resolved it. That's, that's great. What I'm saying is we need to talk through this subject. And the central question is, what is a marriage ceremony? What's happening there? Whether culture says so or not i need to sort that so how's about this we give this some time i didn't i didn't say all aspects of it need time i th- i think we're actually i think what's been revealed is that there has been a consensus no a christian shouldn't attend a trans wedding i th- i think there's been consensus revealed on that subject but some of these other issues we just let's just tackle them Patiently, in the context of our local church, loving, understanding that people are in different places than you are. And then, guess what? There's other boxes. It ain't just marriage. DEI. People are being threatened with their jobs. You sign this statement. You affirm this. You affirm this. You use these pronouns or you're fired. Whoa. These are weighty. These are heavy. These are pastoral issues. And so we need to submit to our pastors. We need to be patient with him. He needs to be patient with us. At the moment, genuine believers, some say this is super huge. Others are like, yeah, together, let's patiently work this out in the context of the local church. And let's remember, this is a different conversation than the national level. Why? I don't float at this altitude of radio stations and conference, they need to make a decision about Alistair Begg based on their considerations. And I'm not gonna question those. I'm talking about the conversations that we have and we're gonna keep having on more and more subjects like this, DEI and pronouns and surrogacy. There are so many issues that we need to work through and we will, if we can do it lovingly in the context of a local church. Until tomorrow, go serve your King.